alas, we are home in lovely Midlothian, Virginia, after being on the road since March, really. And uh, just want to say thank you to everyone who contributed and helped us bring a band out, bring a team out. It was a whole new level. It was a whole next thing, which is what I want to what I want to talk about uh, in this whole idea of navigating seasons of change. This is part three of that series, by the way. I apologize for. Uh, there being such a gap between the episodes, but we were moving and grooving. We actually took a side trip to uh, Louisville to see my son, but not just that. I love to watch his operation up close um, because I, I believe that we can do better in what we do at prisons. It's all about showing value to those that are really damned in the eyes of society, sometimes their families, and uh, saying, well, God doesn't damn you. God doesn't condemn you. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so we're always trying to improve upon what we do and getting to watch Matt's team up close, um, it, it's not just watching the operation, which is pretty smooth this time out, man. He's got an incredible tour manager with him um, and a great band. <clears throat> All the guys in his band, well, at least uh, the drummer and the keyboardist both play, and there's another guitar player that used to play with him, all play for Saddleback Church, Rick Warren's church uh, out in California. And uh, then his, his uh, guitar player that's with him now is actually the son of Billy Smiley, who was the founder of a band called Whiteheart, which really had traction back in the 90s before the secular companies bought all the Christian labels. That's another topic. Anyway... Um, they're great guys, and uh, and and I really believe that Susan and I have a, a very good influence on them. They're young guys; they're kind of trying to find their place in this world. Sorta, of. you know. You can tell they're at that age where they're examining the faith that they were raised in, and uh, it was really cool. Uh, Matt's drummer expressed interest in coming out to prisons with us someday. Of course, I would never steal him from Matt. I'd make sure I had clearance to do that. But anyway, it uh, led us through uh, quite a few more hours of traveling than we expected and driving the RV through the mountains. Good gosh, yes, the scenery's pretty, pretty this time of year, but going up and down the mountains in this monstrous RV towing a pickup truck is an experience all to itself. Uh, anyway, want to talk about the next thing. I mean, that's that we're talking about navigating the seasons of life. Hopefully, we're all contemplating the next thing. Now you might be in a place where you know you can't you can't uh, just jump out on some big dream, but we can always do something, and uh, dreaming is part of it. You know, I I thought about the fact uh, that I used to work with a guy, and uh, in one of his sermons or at some point he said something about um, he was on a flight and he started to have some some fear, and and then he realized, well, this plane isn't going to go down because I still have vision, and God wants me to fulfill that vision. Well. Personally, I believe I'll probably die with dreams on the table. I don't want to die dreamless. I want to always be thinking about what's the next thing. Um, and there's all sorts of opposition to that, um, especially, you know, we get in ruts and, you know, it's like, you know, I looked, I thought about this. I thought, you know, the seasons change, right? The, the actual seasons and we make adjustments um, for us. You know, we got to turn off the sprinkler system before freezes uh sometimes you gotta wrap plants the heat comes on the sweaters and jackets come out we change some things but we're still who we really are our homes are still the same homes but we have to change the way we do life um 
as as seasons change in our life as we get older as our families grow up as as they you know don't demand as much of our time and so i really believe that to some degree we should be contemplating our next thing long before we get there. We should be dreaming and working at that dream. You know, many of us have had to work or, or live in uh, what uh, Stephen Pressfield calls shadow careers. Sometimes that's just to pay the bills, is to raise our family. Uh, but often, sometimes we take on shadow careers to avoid the risk of change, to avoid failure. We, we do the thing that we know we can do good at instead of taking the risk on the thing that we just might fail at. Um, you know, there he talks about the fact that there are good lawyers that could have been great authors, or there are good salesmen that could have been great preachers, good carpenters that could have been great musicians, and so on. Sometimes we avoid. Uh, what we really want to do, who we really want to be, because we are afraid. We're afraid of failure, of course, but we, we obviously we need to learn that fa- failure is part of the process. You can't learn anything new. You can't develop any new skill. Uh, you can't even learn to walk without failing. Uh, but there's another thing that we're afraid of, and this gets bigger, I believe, the older you get sometimes. Um we're afraid of not fitting in with the tribe. You know, peer pressure is, is still a thing in adult life. We feel like we we need to measure up. And with the advent of communication the way it is today, whether it's social media or it's TV or it's magazines or whatever, there's constantly this, this norm, uh, I should say, uh, false norm that's projected at us that this is what we're trying to this you you'll be successful when you have enough money uh when you're in a certain vocation and we want to fit in with society i mean you don't even need communication it's it's the whole keep up with the joneses thing um where you know at a certain age you should have accomplished this you you should have graduated college or you should have you should buy a house you should have your house paid off you should have x amount of dollars in your 401k and the thing is, is that people that really rock the world are the risk takers that, that actually don't fit into that mold at all. They do what appears to be outlandish and follow their dreams or their next thing. People might, be, might think they're crazy, but these are the people that really change and influence our world. Yeah, I've got some friends, um, some of you may know them, the Lucier family, dear friends, almost family friends. I met them when we moved to little old Hedgesville, West Virginia. We were stepping out of the norm. You know, we had achieved uh, what what I guess society calls the American dream. You know, we owned a house in the suburbs and had a couple of cars and the payments to prove it. We had the things we dreamed of, had a deck off the back of the house. I mean, this was big stuff for us in our 20s. Um, had a nice privacy fence around our yard. I mean, we, we had what the world says is success. I even had a front porch I could sit on and sip my my sweet tea, you know, and I, and I sat there and thought, you know what? I don't think this is it. I have what this world says you you should have, but I'm not fulfilled. And that led to 
preparing for the next thing. And it took years studying ministry and before we finally launched out into our big first ministry endeavor. And that was in a little place called Hedgesville, West Virginia. I'm sure I've told this story before. Now, Hedgesville has grown substantially. It's not the little old place anymore. It's become almost like a bedroom community of D.C. Um, Lots of new developments and all. But when we moved there, it was still a little closer to Mayberry. And uh, and the first... uh, some of the first folks that I met was this Lucier family. They weren't there when I got there in September, and I saw a picture of the family, like a family picture, and uh, me being the kind of lawless one I am, you know, just, I'm not antisocial, but I didn't fit the typical ministry mold, I guess, and I looked at the picture, and I looked at the boys. There's two boys and two girls, and I thought, Oh, these guys look like stuck-up preacher kids. I'd had my share of stuck-up church kids through um, my juvenile years, but you know, I, I thought, you know, I just, I just stereotyped them very quickly. Well, as it turned out, when they got into town, they traveled by camper. They raised their family. It was a small camper at the time. I mean, they were crammed in this thing. Now, all their kids were teenagers. Their oldest has just turned 18. He walks into the youth room, and I'm working on a sign, and we start talking, and turns out we kind of hit it off, and our first get-together, that day he stood up at the keyboard and played a part, and I sang, we wrote a song together. And the next thing you know, I mean, we just had a chemistry. We hit it off, you know. I was in my 30s, 14 years older than him, but there was just, a, he appreciated my mentorship, and, and I appreciated his humble spirit and his massive talent. This, this kid was, was talented in media and video and music. I mean, just brilliant. And here's the deal. He was homeschooled and raised in a camper. And, uh, you know, they took a lot of heat for that at times. Like, your kids, uh, I can't believe you could raise your kids in a camper traveling all over the place. What are you, gypsies? People literally said these things about them. Um, you know, they used to, I heard people say negative things about how much time the boys especially spent at their computers. And this was, again, mid-90s. And they were always, at the, the internet wasn't even really, like, out there yet. And But these guys were constantly learning, self-teaching themselves. Well, today, those kids are in their 40s, and for most of their adult life, they've made their living through the things that they learned in front of those computers, living on the road, not being distracted by the typical things. Um, They were able to saturate themselves in learning how to do media and graphics, and it is amazing what these guys can do. The the show is still on the road. Uh, Three of the kids have now moved on and have their own lives in different parts of the country making a living using the skills they developed in that little camper in front of those computers um and and then uh the you know the one that's still on the road my friend matt uh, he is a genius uh if you go online and search kids turn k-i-d-z T-U-R-N. Go to their um, Instagram and just look at some of the pictures of the presentations that they put on, the kids' programs that they put on. It looks like something Nickelodeon did, but they do this all out of the creativity of their minds. They build their own sets. It's amazing. People thought they were crazy, but the impact they've had, I imagine hundreds of thousands of children have heard the gospel and been encouraged and and been entertained, you know, in what they do. Uh, The impact this family has had by stepping out of the norm. And you know, Carl, who is the the father uh, and and the mother, Kathy, 
they took some heat over the years because they were stepping out of this societal norm. They didn't own a house. And it's hard. Let me tell you, when we first uh, stepped out on uh, Life on the Verge, you've heard the story. You know, our first trip on the road to Miami, you know, we let go of our jobs. We moved our furniture, what was left of it. We gave some of it away. We rented a storage unit. And now, you know, our kids were out of the house. We moved into this camper and our first journey down to Miami, three flat tires on the RV, a broken starter, a broken fuel pump, a broken fusible link, a ruptured brake line um, on the interstate. Just craziness. But still, you know, there's a part of you that kind of feels like an idiot. And that, I think, is is where you know, hey, maybe I'm maybe I'm hitting hitting the target here because um, I feel a little stupid, but there's something in me that knows I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Now, part of the reason that we, we, uh, we don't step out on a dream is, is because we associate uh, the results or the outcomes with success rather than realizing that the process is its own reward. That, that even though we had all these complications, we were doing it. We were, we were practicing what we preached. We were stepping out on the dream, and there was something in us that knew, you know, well, it's all us and God at this point. You know, we, we didn't attach to any local church. We weren't based out of a church. We were staying wherever we could stay. Um, our dear friends that weren't yet our dear friends, uh, the Chrysler's invited us to leave our camper or park our camper and call Watermark's uh, camp our home in Scottsville, Virginia, when we weren't traveling and doing the prison things. And and we, we honestly didn't know how it was all going to work out, but we were doing it. And that started, of course, with dreaming about the next thing. And so as we're navigating seasons of change as we and we should be constantly changing or evolving or becoming more of who God created us to be and and again some of us through years of my life I had to live in what I called shadow careers you know um, you know I had to support my family I had but there was this deeper dream and we're actually living it now which is amazing but I don't want to stagnate I want to be dreaming about the next thing, the next change. Um, I don't believe that we, um, I don't think stagnation lasts very long. We're, we're either moving forward or we're slipping back. And, uh, and of course, you know, the older we get, the more we're like, oh man, can't I just retire and sit back on that porch and sip my sweet tea and watch life go by? But you don't really want that. I tell inmates all the time that there's something worse than the loss of freedom, and that is a loss of purpose. And I've seen so many guys, I probably mentioned this in the previous episode, but uh, retire from law, law enforcement, for example, and not have a dream and not have a goal and find themselves depressed, um, dropping into alcoholism and even dying just a few years after retirement because there's not something to propel them. You know, and all the the physical things that Susan went through recently um, in the hospital with sepsis and really came fairly close to death's door, her doctor said. Um, it made me examine, you know, hey, this is my wife. Susan, do you really want to keep doing this? It's it's pretty physically demanding, emotionally demanding to constantly be moving, constantly be traveling, pushing this gear and setting it up and putting on these shows. And, and uh, she said, of course, it gives me a sense of purpose. Well, that, that brought rest to my heart because that's why I do it. Um, and so I'm, I'm 
So, yeah, we're looking at the next season for Life on the Verge, okay? So I don't even know if I I mentioned this in the previous episode, but I've said for a long time that Life on the Verge exists to entertain the crowd, edify the church, and evangelize the lost. And that's what we do. And, you know, I look back at that Lucia family, for example. I was very much um, inspired by seeing them do something that was kind of, sort of, what I always dreamed of doing, and that is traveling. And they also entertain. They put on a very entertaining children's show. They put all their skills to work. Don't you love that when all your your different desires and skills and, you know, I hate when I have tools lying around that never get used, but all this stuff starts to get put together to create something that blesses people. And entertainment can be a blessing. We, we need entertainment. That's part of it. But we also edify the church. In other words, we build the church up. We encourage when the inmates come out to one of our events, they know they've kind of played their hand a little bit. They knew that it was in the chapel. Even though we promote it as a concert and we give them a concert, they also know that it's in the chapel and so they're coming to a church-like building. And uh, and so we know that there are many believers there and we want them to see each other. We want them to know you're not alone on this compound. Look out, look at who else came. And then we want to build them up to be the church after we leave. And we want to evangelize the lost. We always present the gospel. We give an opportunity to receive Christ. And, and we have seen thousands over the years. Um, and we don't know if they're recommitments. We don't know how many times, but we always give it an altar call type deal. We present the gospel. Well, one morning I got up and, I, and, and it just popped into my head that, well, we also exist to equip the ministry. And that's what we did by bringing um, these other people along with us this band on the run, uh, which was a which it was a big risk. Um, it cost us probably in the neighborhood of seven thousand dollars all total to bring these guys out because we covered a lot of their expenses. Now, as we move forward, we're going to equip them. We've got more time for next year to equip them to do fundraising. We want them to see it as a mission, but we also want them to see themselves as professionals. You know. Um, we, we want to put on a grade A uh, program. And somewhat what we did, we did all this really quickly this time out. Um, I, would, I would give it a B minus as far as what I wanted to see as a, a presentation. You know, one of the reasons I look at Matt and his team is I look at, well, here's what the secular world, the quality program that they put on, mostly for the sake of entertainment. Um, and, and I go, well, why can't why can't God provide for that? They do it for the the record company. Obviously, does it for the sake of profit, and and there's no problem with that. It's business. Um, we don't really exchange. We don't sell tickets. But why can't God provide in miraculous ways for us to put on? an A-plus program wherever we go. That was the goal. But it was a big risk. Um, And to get these guys out there, these younger guys, let them see uh, the mission field that's in prison. And not only that, um, what a great crowd to use their craft in front of. It is the best crowd in the world. My son will still say that. You know, they're not... uh, drifting by or going in and out or you know they're totally focused that you know when you if, if you play if you're a musician and you play bars you know that half the time people aren't even paying attention uh so it's a great it, i'm getting totally sidetracked but i i want to i want to put together this is my next thing a musical outfit that if we got 
invited to play at a mega church in front of a thousand people or five thousand people, or we got invited to play in front of a church of fifty people, or we got invited to play at a campground, or we got invited to play in prisons. That it is a quality presentation. Now it starts with me, right? Is that our goal is excellence. We may, we may never, it is to excel above people's expectations and put on a remarkable program to have us. And that's not, that's not to stroke my ego. It's, it's more of a sense of we, we did our best. We did our best. And so, I, again, I hope that wasn't too much of a sidetrack about we do have a next thing, and we are dreaming about how can we do it better next year. What are the alternatives uh, to not having a next thing dream? We just keep doing the last thing. And for me, I get kind of bored. Like, no, I, I something needs to be growing. I need to have a reason to put more gas in the tank and, and keep it going. And, of course, the miracles are up to God, uh, but also realizing that it is the process that is the real success, not just the end result. We want positive end results and outcomes, um, but really the miracles are God's domain. The process I can contribute greatly to, I can work hard at. All right. So, um, I, I kind of equate, I'm not going to promote gambling here, okay? But in a way, risk-taking, stepping out on a dream, on your next thing, it is a gamble. And anybody that's ever achieved great success at something uh, usually had to take a big risk and take a gamble. They had to take their current winnings and put them at risk. And so, you know, uh, man, there's so many stories of people doing that. Uh, that, And then, you know, again, the miracles belong to God for those of us that are believers. And we prayerfully do it. But we, I was, I was talking to my friend uh, Stan Grant, the church that we base out of, Clover Hill. And they prospered uh, really, really well and had a lot of money in the bank. And uh, Stan is well into his 50s, I guess. Uh, he's probably in a approaching his mid-50s, something like that. And we sat down for lunch one day, and he said, you know, there's a temptation, man, the older I get, to kind of just draw back. We're really comfortable as a church right now, um, and we could stay really comfortable and stop taking big risks and, and stuff. And uh, he said, but but I can't do that. You know, and, and it was good because it was at a time where we didn't have nearly as much money in the bank as a ministry, not, not even a minutia of what the church had. Um, but we were faced with the same decision. Do we keep this buffer balance in our ministry account and, and not kind of sort of roll the dice uh, and take a bigger step? And, and I couldn't do it either. I said, no, God has given us this money to take risks, to put the talent to work, like in Matthew 25, right? To put it to work. And so my friend Stan Grant, what did he do? We came back uh, through town in, uh, I think it was in July, we passed through and we parked our camper at the um, church for a few days. And there were these mobile units all over the parking lot, like blocking all the parking. Um, well, they launched a new Christian school. They'd already had like a preschool and a daycare, but now they have a, a Christian school. They bought another place to have another campus of the school in another part of the city as well. They are putting that money to work. There's a next thing happening. And and so I, I, that just inspired me. You know, um, I, I want to keep dreaming. I want to keep stepping out 
on the next thing. Now, you might not be able to step out on your big dream today, uh, but you, when you realize that it's far more about a mindset, it's far more about where your focus is at, you see, because a dream, a next thing, steers your schedule, how you spend your time. It steers your money, how you spend your money. Um, you stop using what you can't do right now as an excuse to avoid your dream or your next thing. You remember, do all you can where you are with what you have, and God won't leave you where you're at. You do what you can. Um, and of course, let me make sure I give this, uh, I don't know if this is a disclaimer, but you, that, that we do all this by, while staying in step with the Holy Spirit, while staying in Christ, okay? When you do that, you can trust your desires, all right? Psalm 37, 4 um, says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. If you're in tune with Jesus, you're not going to want something opposed to his will. Um, and so you stay in tune and you he's going to cause you to desire the things. Uh, I believe this. I really do believe that. I used to think that meant delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you what you want. It's more than that, I believe. He'll make you want the things that are best for you. Um a lot of people say they don't want know what they want to do when they grow up. Here's what I would say. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You you might have to dig a little bit, but you can find the trailhead, right? You can find the starting point. There's a, a lot you can do uh, other than watching TV, surfing the web, tweeting, TikToking, all that stuff, right? Snapchatting. Uh, you can find the trailhead and you can start walking. You might need to bring your machete and cut a few weeds down. We did. You can start right where you're at. Um, even if you've got chaos, you're raising a family and all that stuff. You may be working in, quote, a shadow career, having to do what you have to do to make ends meet. But you can start dreaming about your next thing, and you can start budgeting your time and budgeting your money. Um, you know, Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. So what do you really treasure? What do you really want? Well, examine where your heart's at. Heart is, means your soul, your mind. Where, where, where is that at? Because that's what you're really treasuring. I'm preaching to myself here because I get distracted a lot and use things to avoid working on my next thing. You know, uh, especially now I've got to get back up. We've been home since Wednesday. Today is Sunday. And, you know, I've kind of been in this, uh, we've been busy doing things, but I got to get back on the horse, so to speak, and, and uh, stop being the slob sitting in my reclining chair. I need the rest. But I got to start moving toward the next thing again. You know, there is a disease, uh, not a disease, I guess it's called a disorder of some sort, called Asperger, Asperger's syndrome. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe a loved one has it and you know all about it. Maybe you don't. I didn't know much about it, but there was this boy in a church, um, in the church that we worked at, actually. And, uh, you know, he kind of dressed fairly what would you say business casual most time I've seen him and then all of a sudden he started wearing leather jackets and leather pants to church right he looked like a rock star right and uh, he's yeah he probably 16 and uh, one day I walked up to him and I started talking about music I said something like he looked like a rock star and he went off on this tangent and this kid had facts I, he was blowing my mind about 
older musicians and bands and we were talking I mean I thought I was talking to somebody older than me 16 years old he knew more about music maybe than anybody had ever talked to in a conversation like that he was spewing out certain guitar players and the years they played with this band and da 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 well I learned later that he has Asperger's and uh, and that is the tendency that that condition I guess can cause the tendency to be hyper focused on one thing so you become socially awkward you know you can anyway uh but you become super knowledgeable about the things that you're into and you absorb it like a sponge and uh now we don't want to aspire to have asperger's syndrome and for anybody that does have that i I realize that it can be a challenge uh to live socially with that and someone in your family i'm not trying to be insensitive here i'm trying to say that (laughs) The, the concept of being hyper-focused on the thing that you really are into, we can take something away from that. We can become a little more focused on what we really want to accomplish. The next thing that we're trying to accomplish, we can learn as much as we can about it. You know, uh, I haven't done it in a while, but I'm kind of inspired to do it again. I, I want to grow as a musician. I want to grow as a songwriter. I don't want to just relax on what I did yesterday. That's great. I celebrate it. But I, I'm dreaming about the next thing. Um, and as a guitar player, you know, I want to get better. I want to build on uh, the accomplishments and the successes. And so I used to do what I called saturation studies, where I would look at you know, particular guitar player, whether that was B.B. King or Dwayne Allman, or, and I would study them. I'd read books about them. I would listen to their music. I would really give hyper-focus for like 30 days or even longer to learn about uh, how this person, you know, played, their, their techniques, and, and uh, then also their mindsets and their, even their personal life, where their songs came from. And uh, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. I know you might not be a musician, but whatever it is you're trying to improve upon, you can do saturation studies of someone that's maybe in the arena or the ballpark of something that you see as perhaps your next thing. Now, I know that all of this this, uh, talk about the next thing and you may have a dream in your heart, it can get frustrating uh, because you you do have a, a dream you have a hope of something that you'd like to accomplish and maybe you feel like it's too late in life for you um that's a lie by the way i've i've shared about how i almost sold all of my musical equipment off except for a couple of guitars and then jimmy bratcher came to my church and uh, that was man god just intercepted me jimmy is probably in the neighborhood of 10 years older than me and he was out doing it getting it done kind of doing what we do today he showed me it could be done and i bought his book don't take your dreams to the grave now that book might not meet you the way it met me but boy it it kind of hit me hard and made me examine you know why am i why am i giving up and uh, and so kind of the hope was reborn uh, and i started writing songs i started doing what i could where i was and then I got confused. Like, why am I doing this? I don't see the path forward. I don't know where to start. Um, I even at times got tired and angry and frustrated at God. Like, why are you, you know, for me, it's a little bit of a confirmation that, that God's working when all of a sudden I can write a song, in, you know, in 15 minutes and it says what I wanted it to say. You know, um, it's it, to me, it's just one of those miracle things, you know, like, it doesn't always happen that way. Songwriting is a craft, and you have to work at it. And sometimes it takes 
bits and pieces of songs over years to come up with a finished product. But every now and then, and this was happening during that tired and angry season where, you know, I was mad because all of a sudden songs were coming, but I had nowhere to sing them. (coughs) And it brought me to a crossroads. Am I going to keep plugging away, trying, doing what I can do where I'm at, even though I can't see the future? I don't know how it's going to unfold. Can I keep dreaming about the next thing and doing what I can where I'm at? And I decided to keep doing that. And there were still periods of confusion and and anger and frustration and that kind of thing. And probably a few more crossroads moments where I got really, really frustrated and even got mad at Jimmy and his book. Lord, why did you why did you bring this book into my life? You know, it took a period of about five years from the time that I met Jimmy to the time that we stepped into that beat up old camper and started moving closer and closer to what we're doing today. Uh, And it was amazing. It really brought breakthrough. As I look back on it, uh, I realized God brought a lot of miracles, but I played a big role. We played a big role in bringing things to that miracle moment. And if you want to see a parallel of what I just talked about in Luke chapter 5, when the fishermen fished all night, Peter and the boys had caught nothing, and they were home, or on the shore rather, washing their nets. And Jesus rocks up and says, you know what? Put out one more time. Go out one more time and cast your nets one more time. Read that. Because Peter was brought to a nevertheless. Master, we fished all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your command, we'll go do it. And they caught so many. They were ready to give up. And they did one more step, one more step. So I just want to encourage you. Keep dreaming about your next thing. Keep doing what you can where you're at. You know, don't let fear of the tribe, um, you know, fitting in and meeting these these uh, false norms of society. Uh, you've got to, re- in the end, the tribe mostly is thinking about themselves, not you anyway. So stop worrying about what other people think. Dig down deep and at least find the trailhead to the path, the next thing that God wants you to step out on as you enter new seasons of life. Hope that helps. And uh, we'll be back at you as soon as we can. Everything's kind of still in disarray. We're unloading the RV and resituating life to be at home uh, for uh, a few months, probably three months, uh, before we map out, we get out on our next tour. Uh, We could use your continued support always uh, when we're off the road. Um, But uh, we will be plotting and planning for a bigger 2023 in what we do. We do have a couple of events. I'll be speaking at the Lighthouse Men's Conference at Watermark's Camp next weekend, October 20th, 21st, I believe it is. So if you're listening and you're from Lighthouse, I'd love to see you. Then we'll be at Freedom Church uh, up in Stafford, Virginia. If you're there, we'd love to see you. Our friends uh, Barry and Christina Clark, a wonderful, wonderful church, by the way, if you're in the Stafford area and supporters of Life on the Verge. And so... We'll be plotting and planning our next thing, but we've got plenty to do in the moment, too. Hopefully, I'll get on a new series next week, and uh, we'll talk at you then. Bless you. Have a great week. Sometimes fallen angels fly.
I want to remind you that Life on the Verge is a completely donor-funded ministry. You can learn more about our ministry at lifeontheverge.com. We appreciate your prayers and gifts of support to keep us on the road and in prison.